Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. As we continue our series today, I would love for you to turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and you can also put a finger in James, in the book of James. We're going to go to James chapter 5. Psalms 34, starting in verse 4, says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. And then James chapter 5, starting in verse 16, says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayers of a righteous person have great power as they are working. God, we thank you for the power to pray. We thank you that we can partner with heaven through our prayers, and we thank you for this time together. I ask you, Holy Spirit, today to speak clearly through me in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Aaron. How good is it that God has given us the gift of prayer? The power to come before his throne, to seek heaven and to see things change and shift and move in our own life. To see that God will sometimes come and intervene in the here and now and step in to our lives. That he has poured into us through the power of his Holy Spirit a spiritual gift and a spiritual power to take something that is in heaven and bring it down and impart it into earth. When I was in Bible college, the year was 2010, and I was a Bible college student who was surviving on very little, and that meant a good part of my life was spent walking almost anywhere I wanted to go or begging for a ride from my very few friends who happened to have a car. And someone started talking to me in detail about the power of prayer about the ability to seek the throne of heaven for the wants and the needs of our here and of our now. And so I set to pursuing heaven for the thing that I desired, which was a car. So desperately, I desired a car. And they told me one of the ways that you can do it is to get specific with God. One, because it focuses our prayers. And two, that way, that little doubt in you that will come in when God turns up on your prayer that says, well, this maybe would have happened anyway. You could say there's no way because it lines up with the thing that I have been praying for. And so I started praying to God for a red car. A red car. I don't know why red, because I've never desired a red car since then, but I started praying specifically. And sure enough, a couple months after praying for this car, another person who worked at the church that I was going to comes to me and he goes, hey, I'm getting ready to get a new car and I have this car that's still in good working condition. It has its registration all paid up for next year, which in Australia is a really big deal because it's much more expensive than it is here in the States. And I was like, this is 
amazing. And then he said, there's one thing though, I don't know if you know how to drive a manual, but this car is a manual or a stick shift. And I was like, I should have been more specific with my prayers, but I am a tenacious woman. And I was like, don't you worry about that. I can learn how to drive a stick shift. If you have a car that can be mine. And sure enough, I set out, Phil helped me learn how to drive a stick shift. And this was a very chaotic season of driving for me because any most of you don't know anymore because manuals or stick shifts are so uncommon around these parts anymore but learning how to drive a stick shift is not something that you pick up overnight but I picked it up overnight and then I trudged off home and for weeks on weeks, I was stalling out all over town. I was bumping and screeching out of spots because I had absolutely no idea what I was actually, I understood the fundamentals of the process, but the actual maneuvering of learning how to drive a manual was far beyond me. So I remember one time I was driving home and there was this like long road that I used to go on and I was like, thank goodness, this is a straight long road. I've got at least like five minutes of just driving right now. No gear shifting, no anything. It's like evening time. I get down and they are doing evening road construction and they have put it down to like one lane, you know, where they like stop it on one side and then you go and then they stop it on the other side and then you can go, which means I have to bring this car to a complete idle And hey, I can hear some of y'all know what that means. Some of you don't understand the difficulty of the moment that I was in. And so I'm sitting there idling and the construction workers are like right here and the other lane goes and they turn that little sign like you can go now. And I'm like, here we go. Boom. Sure enough, stall out right there. And I'm like, What's up, yo? Start that. I stalled out three times right there in front because now I'm getting stressed about it. And I take up and I'm like, oh my Lord. And I wish that was the end of it. But there's another time I'm on a hill because Australia is much more hilly than we are here in the Toledo area. I am on a hill that has a stoplight at the top of it. Oh, yes. And so there I am with my not really knowing how to drive this manual drive or stick shift car. I'm feeling the frustration all over again. And the light turns. And so I have to stop, which is bad enough in itself, except for then I can see in my rear view mirror that a BMW has pulled up behind me and has pulled like right up behind me which again means nothing to some of you because you think no big deal. You're going forward. Just don't put on the reverse. But if you know anything about driving a manual, you know that they don't only move forward. They also rock backwards, sometimes very significantly, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So my only exit plan on this is to hold that parking brake as long as I can and gun it until I squeal out of there because I think I cannot. Someone gave me this car that's the same age as I am. You think I can afford to let this thing roll back into your BMW? It was a difficult time in my life, as you can hear. But God provided me with a car. 
And with my barely functioning driving skills, I also happened to live on a road that was on a hill. And because I was on a road that was on a hill, all of the parking was street parking. And the lots were kind of built in a way that you could fit three cars in each section and then there would be a drive, which meant that in each section you had two end spots and one center spot going farther and farther up the hill. You can hear from my skill set that I did not have the skills required to parallel park in the center spot on a hill with my brand new manual drive. So every day on my way home, I would begin beseeching heaven and say, Lord God, you see your daughter and you know that I need an end spot in one of the sections. You know that I am not capable of parking in the middle. And I am here to tell you that for eight weeks straight, there was an end slot available every single time I came home. And I was like, the Lord sees and the Lord knows and the Lord has heard my cry from on high. And these are funny ways of proving it, but it's amazing about our God that in the funny things and in the real things and in the large things and in the small things in our life, we serve a God who shows up on our behalf, who hears our cry and he answers us, who has given us the power of prayer. And I know if we went around this room, we could tell stories about the times that God has seen you and that God has spoke to you and that he has healed you in your body and that he has showed up in your finances and that he has restored relationships to you. This is our God who when we seek him, he answers and we have examples like Abraham who went and sought God on behalf of Lot and God moved for him. We have examples like Hezekiah who the prophet came and he said, your life is gonna be shortened and he turned his face to the wall and it says that God granted him more years to his life. We have examples like Elijah who sought heaven and God sent fire down from heaven. And then Elijah sought and said, stop the rain. And then Elijah sought another time and said, send the rain. And God moved because of the prayers of this righteous person who came and who sought God on his behalf. The prayers of the New Testament church who gathered together and who sought God until Paul was released for prison. They were praying so hard that Paul came to them and it took them time to find him knocking at the door because they were seeking the face of God. And it tells us that we have a God who sees us and who moves for us. I know that you have moments in your life when you can look back and you can say, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I sought his face and he heard me. He showed up because of the power of the prayer, because he has invested in me a powerful prayer life because God is a God who hears and answers and our prayers have the power to move and to change situations and circumstances that we have seen God show up on our behalf. I know that you have experienced that kind of a prayer life and I know that you have experienced a God like that. Except for when you haven't. Because sometimes we seek God 
and it doesn't turn out like we thought. Sometimes we seek his face and our prayers go unanswered. You know that song we sing? It goes, um, you're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. I love that song. It's so fun. I get into it every time we're singing. I'm like, yes. But I remember the first time we sang that song, I was like, huh? I had a girlfriend one time who had started dating a guy, had been getting kind of serious, and we were like chatting, and she was just all in love. And I remember her saying in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of that conversation, oh, he would never make me cry though. And I was like, y'all ain't been together long enough yet. Like, I'm not saying you should be with somebody that's intentionally making you cry. But I'm saying 10, 15, 30 years, he's never going to make you cry. Some of y'all haven't been walking with God long enough. If you can sing that song without a little, huh? I mean, I'm not talking about in the eternal scope of things. In the eternal scope of things, God will never let you down. And his ways are higher than our ways. And his truth is deeper than we could ever know. And he is working all things together for the good of those who love him in the eternal scope of things. But in the day by day and in the week to week and in the here and now and in the every so often, there are times when you go, God, that's not what I thought we were doing. Because I walked straight out of God gave me a car and will give me every parking spot I need. And he hears my cries and I pray to heaven and the earth moves. And I walked straight into a season for about 12 to 18 months where I had three very significant, meaningful things to me that I prayed for and that I sought God for and that I pleaded on my knees and I turned my face to the wall and I fasted for him and none of them turned out the way I thought they were going to. And I was like, and what now, God? And what am I supposed to do with this? Because the truth is that sometimes our prayers go unanswered. The truth is that sometimes we're disappointed in the way that God shows up or doesn't show up. Sometimes we pray and it pours anyway. And we stand there wondering in those moments, what are we to do now? And the way that we respond in those moments tells us a lot about the way that we see God and the way that we see our prayer life and the way that we see our relationship with God. What do we do in the midst of disappointment with God? And how are we to respond in the midst of this uncertainty and in the midst of this turmoil when I'm left standing with my prayers saying, and what happens now? Where do I go from here? Is there anyone that has enough time walking with God and enough honesty with yourself and with the people around you that could just raise a hand and say, I've been disappointed by it. Some of y'all are so faithful. You start raising your hand before I even ask the question. I love you. I appreciate and I value you. That could say, I've been disappointed by God a time or two in my life. There have been a time or two that I've been walking with him and I thought, now what just happened here, God? And how do we keep walking in these moments? And what do we do from there? Today, I want us to talk about what we do with unanswered prayers. 
and our boy David, the man with God's own heart, who also experienced some of the highest moments of God answering prayers and showing up on his behalf, also has something to teach us about what happens when we come to the absolute bottom and God doesn't answer our prayers. If you'll turn with me back to the book of 2 Samuel, we're going to look today at 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 16. If you were here last week, this is just shortly after part of the passage we looked at last week. Starting in verse 16, it says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted. And he went in and he lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold... While the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And then David arose from the earth, and he washed And he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house. It's interesting where he goes first and where he goes second. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. I don't think I gave you this, but I wanted to jump to verse 23. It says, the servants asked him, why are you acting this way? And then it says, but he is now dead, and why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. It's an interesting portion of, chap- of scripture. It's unsettling in a lot of ways because we want God to intervene on David's behalf. He has a contrite heart and he seeks God and he lays out before him and he fasts before him. And yet God doesn't answer this prayer for David. I think that the final verse is a compelling verse for anyone who has ever lost anyone. David says, they will not return to me, but I will go to them. He sets his eyes not on something past, but on something forward, on a future hope that he will be reunited again, though I haven't seen what I wanted in this moment, I maintain a future hope. And David seems to take a kind of acceptance, a reality of the moment that he finds himself in, that I have sought this thing all the way to the end. And I find myself in a moment where I say, I thought the Lord would answer this but he has not answered my prayer. When I found myself saying, God, in this disappointment and in this uncertainty, what am I to do with all of this? I thought of moments of people like David who sought the Lord and did not hear an answer. 
And then I thought of people like Paul who in the New Testament tells us that he had a thorn in his flesh. And he says, on three times I asked God to take this thing away from me. And yet God did not remove it from him. And yet Paul was unanswered in his cry and in his seeking of God to have whatever ailment, whatever affliction tormented him. The answer did not come three times. He came, this is Paul the apostle who spread the gospel throughout all of the earth and wrote letters that we read today. And he says, I sought God and God didn't answer me. And I think about Jesus in the garden, seeking God's face and saying, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And he says it again, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He's seeking the face of God and crying out to God and saying, God, I have something that seems too big for me and I have something that I don't want to face and I have something that I don't want to walk into and will you take this thing away from me? Will you intervene on my behalf? Is there anything that you have ever cried out to God for and said, God, this thing seems too big and this thing seems more than I can carry and this thing seems more than I can bear and more than I can face. And before he can almost finish praying the prayers, the guards come into the garden and they grab him and they take him and they haul him off. And before we know it, he'll be hanging on a cross and he is sitting there with this prayer that has not been answered. And I started thinking about it. And it's not even so much that their prayer is unanswered. I mean, how frustrating is it when you're trying to talk to someone and they don't even respond to you? When you can, there is few things in life that are more infuriating to me than when I am speaking to someone and they are not responding to me. You can hear me, can't you? You can hear that words are leaving my mouth and are hitting your eardrums. How are you just not even going to answer me? But the truth is, it's not even that God doesn't answer them. It's that sometimes God said no. It's not that God left them without an answer. It's that God's answer to them was not the answer that they wanted. God's answer to them was no. David sought God's face and the baby died anyway. And Paul sought God and he said, my answer to you is no. My answer to you is that you will be perfected in this and that my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus sought the face of God and said, take this cup away from me. And God said, no, I have something bigger that I'm working on. And I have something more that I have coming down the end. And I have to see you walk this thing out. I have to see you go through this thing. And my question is not so much what do we do when our prayers are unanswered. My question question is, can you handle God's no in your life? Because I'm concerned for us that we are in such a consumer society 
And we are in such a customer society that we think that our relationship with God is like a vending machine where if I punch in the right buttons and put in the right code, I'm going to get the output that I desired. I'm going to get the treat that I've been asking for. But the truth is that seeking God is not so much about the things that we get from him. And it's not so much about the output that's coming your way. Our seeking of God... He is not our great sugar daddy in the sky that because I've showed up for you and because I've been hanging out and because I come around being part of your people, then I expect that you're going to give me all of the things that I ask for and that I desire. But we treat God that way, even though we would, oh, if somebody says it, we act like God because I showed up for you. God, I'm here every weekend. God, I give my tithes. God, I serve on your, on your team. God, I'm showing up for every other people. God, I finished my devotional this month. God, where is the answer to my prayer? When I was in my season working through when God wasn't answering my prayers in the way that he, I thought that he should answer my prayers, I was on the phone with a mentor and I was reeling. I was upset and confused and frustrated, and I was just going off. And finally, when I took a breath somewhere in there, they said to me, it sounds to me like you think God owes you this. You ever know the right answer and the real answer at the same time? And I was like, I mean... I mean, it's not that God owes me, but I have given my life to his service. I have committed to serving his people. And they were like, that's not how this works. You think God's supposed to move just because you want him to? You think just because you, you, but we all tend to feel like my concern is that we have believed that there is a formula to seeking God, that we have believed that there are patterns and there are ways that if I do this enough, I can trick God into moving on my behalf. And we are not always willing to accept the fact that sometimes his answer is no. And what it says about us, if we're willing and able and capable to accept God's no, that coming to him in prayer is not just about what I can get from God, that coming to God in prayer is not just about, can I get God to do something in my life? That coming to him in prayer is about knowing him and being known by him, that coming to him in prayer is about being changed and formed into his life likeness more than it is about seeing can I get God to do something like he's my magic wand maker in the sky coming to God in prayer is more about seeking the face of God than it is about seeking the hand of God and it says something about us if we can't accept his no we have a three-year-old who's very three-year-old-ish at the moment. And so I find myself saying this phrase a lot. Sometimes the answer is no. And you're allowed to be disappointed, but you are not allowed to throw a fit. I wonder how many of us 
are throwing spiritual grown-up fits because God didn't give us what we wanted, what we think we deserve, what we think is owed to us, what we think he ought to show up with, and now we're giving God the silent treatment. And now we're throwing a tantrum on the inside of who we are because this hits the crossroads of my external pains and my external sufferings and my internal turmoil and my internal questioning. When God says no to me, are you able to receive a no from a loving father or do you throw a fit in response like a spiritual toddler because that's what I wanted and that's what I wanted you to give me and I haven't matured enough to know that sometimes the answer is no. And yet, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about praying to God. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, look what he says. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you, Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God desires to give us good things. What I don't want to do today is try to oversimplify, over-systematize, and over-process the place of prayer because prayer falls under the great mysteries of heaven and earth that God says, seek me and I will answer you. Come to me and I desire to give you good gifts that I delight in pouring out the abundance and the goodness of heaven and delighting my children in these great things and yet sometimes the answer is no. And what I certainly don't want to do is propagate a message that it only has to do with the categories that we try to place in it. Well, if you just had enough faith, God would show up for you. Are you kidding me? What about the man who was sitting at the gate called beautiful? Did he have enough faith for his miracle? The man didn't even ask for it. They came walking by. He asked for coins. They say, we don't have coins. Stand up and walk. Where was his faith? He was granted a miracle he didn't even know was possible. And yet, Lazarus dies. And yet, he's risen again. Because of his faith, he was dead. Because of the faith of those around him, Mary and Martha were mad at Jesus and offended. You didn't come when you should have. So it can't only, but yet there is something about my faith that moves the heart of God. But it can't only be my faith because I see that people who are faithful get told no. And I see that people who don't seem as faithful to me sometimes get told yes. So it can't only be my faith. 
And is it my prayers and my fasting that I was persistent enough or that I went in hard enough or that I sought God enough or that I got enough people on the prayer line or that? And all of these things have meaning. And sometimes these are the things that God is saying, lean in and come to me. But yet at the same time, I don't want you to leave here thinking that it's a formula because God is not a computer code that you input the right formula and you get what you're desiring out of it. He is a relational God who is working on an eternal ark and he sometimes says yes and he pours out his goodness and he sometimes says no. And so what I want us to do instead is take three questions. If you've been seeking God and you feel like this prayer is unanswered, God, I'm not seeing you move in this place and say, God, let me reflect on this place of prayer. The first question is, have you been persistent in your prayer? Have you continued to seek God's face? Multiple times as he writes to the New Testament church, Paul encourages them to be persistent in prayers, to be consistent and steadfast in continually seeking the face of God because there is something that God forms in us as he takes the long road to, pro- to produce it in us patience along the journey to see are there people willing to continually come before and seek me. I was reading a story the other day about a man who shared the gospel with somebody and prayed for him for 40 years and had no contact with the man for the 40 years between until decades later that man's grandson would again share the gospel with him and he would accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior and by the goodness of God the grandson knew about the other man and called him back and he said I've been praying for him for 40 years I give up on prayers after like 40 days often You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I guess this isn't moving. And my question to you is, are there some prayers in your life that it's time for you to pick back up again? That God's saying, you put that one down too early. You set that one down too soon. You prayed it one time and you left it there. The, the prayer of Daniel or the time of Daniel that we often form our 21 days of prayer and fasting off of that we do in January of every year. That 21 days comes from the fact that Daniel prayed a prayer. And when his prayer was answered, the angel told him, your answer was released the very first time that you prayed it. But it was held up in the heavenly places. Sometimes there are prayers in your life that, in, that require a consistency and a persistence of prayer, a people who say, we won't come off of the post, God, and I won't move off of this thing until I see you move, that I will continue to come back to the place. My question for some of you is, what are the prayers that it's time for you to pick back up today to pray again for that relationship, to pray again for the wealth that has been promised to you, to pray again for the renewal of your marriage, to pray again for that child. What is the prayer in your life that it's time for you to pick back up? 
The next question is, is your prayer in line with heaven? Does it align with the will and the purpose of heaven? And here's what I want us to understand is to not assume. God is consistent in his character, but he is rarely the same in his method. He produces different things in our life through different methods time and time again. And sometimes I think we assume that we know the will of heaven and we assume that we know the desire of heaven. There's a scripture in the book of Jeremiah. I think it's in Jeremiah 7 where it says Jeremiah the prophet is coming before God and he's praying for, for these people. And all of a sudden God interrupts him and he says, stop praying for them. That's not my will. That's not what I desire right now. The thing that you are seeking me for is not what I'm trying to do in the earth right now. And I wonder sometimes if we start praying prayers that we think are in God's will because we have so confused ourselves to think that my will is his will, to think that my desires are his desires, that we don't slow down long enough to say, God, what is your will in this situation? What is your purpose in this situation? As a pastor, people come to Phil and I all the time asking for prayer, which I hope that you continue to do. It is our great honor to be able to pray and stand and believe God with you. But sometimes people come with prayers that I'm like, I don't know that I can pray that prayer. A lady came to me one time and asked me to pray that her adult son would break up with his girlfriend. And I was like, Lord, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. There are times in our life where I think that we believe so clearly that we know God's will. And I wonder if sometimes we need to slow down and stop assuming that everything that we desire is the same as the thing that God desires as an outcome. If you have never heard God stop you in a prayer and reroute the way that you're praying or the outcome that you're praying for, I would encourage you to slow down and ask more often, God, what is your will? It's the way Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I want this cup to be taken from me. But if not, it's your will, not my will. God, I don't, I don't want this to turn out this way. But if it can't go the way that I want it to, not my will, but your will be done. And then the last question to ask is, is God saying no? Did God say no? Now, sometimes it's really obvious. Jesus prays in the garden. The guards come. They take him. Jesus is hanging on the cross. God said, no, I'm not taking this cup from you. But sometimes it's less obvious than that. Sometimes we have to wait on what God is saying in our life for here and for now, for this moment. There's a portion in the book of Acts where Paul says, we wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit prevented us. But God said no. And this is what I mean when I say we can't assume that we know God's 
outcome. We cannot assume that we, what is better than saying, God, I want to go over to Asia to spread the message of who you are and to declare the goodness of who you are and your faithfulness and to tell all of the people in this whole other continent. And yet God said, no. And I'm concerned that there are times because we are so affluent and we have access to so many things and we are such capable human beings and our will is so viable that we are overriding what God said no to. If I was Paul, I'd be like, that couldn't have been God. I'm trying to go do his good works. Let me just book that ticket real quick. But I wonder how often God has said no to you and you've overrode his no anyway because it seemed good to me, because it seemed right in my own eyes, because it seemed like it was for benefit, because God, surely you want me to excel in this way. God, surely you want me to have this promotion. God, surely you won't withhold any good thing from me. And he's saying it's not as good as it seems for you. I know for your neighbor it was a good thing, but for you, I'm saying no. And that we don't understand that God's desire and plan for us is to bring his glory into the earth and to let his glory be revealed in us and through us and to be manifest through his presence. Years ago, I remember talking to a lady who was uh, working in ministry and she um, got afflicted with cancer. And they sought God and they prayed to God to heal her divinely through miraculous intervention. And I want to be very clear that God does not ever afflict anyone with cancer. But in this scenario, his answer was no to a divine intervention of healing because she would then go into those waiting rooms. And she said, I went in and I realized I was surrounded by people who were hurting and people who were broken and people who had lost hope and their future and she began ministering to the people in that waiting room and she began praying with people in that waiting room and she began declaring the goodness of the faithfulness of who God is in that waiting room and sometimes God intervenes and he shrinks up the cancer just by the breath of a heaven in your life and sometimes he says my answer is no because I'm trying to use you in a different way and my question is are you overriding God's no. Are you moving past God's no? When you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, do you have a depth of your faith and a resilience of your faith that goes strong enough and that goes deep enough that says, God, this is what I desire. But if your answer is no, I will serve you anyway. If your answer is no, I will seek your faith anyway. If your answer is no, God, then how are you using me in this moment? How is your glory being revealed? Because even in my suffering, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of who you are. Even in my hurting, I will boast of your goodness. Even in my disappointment, I will run to the house of the Lord and I will say, I will worship your name and I will magnify your name. I will be found in your house forever. It is a tough place when it feels like God's not answering prayers. When it feels like his answer is no.